Well, welcome today to this next episode of Innovation Generation. Evan Adams is with us. Evan, you're Thank a you. 2010 graduate of Grove yeah, City College. Ancient, right? Does it seem like a long time to you? I don't know. I, uh, and I'm holding this coffee in my hand, and and it was in a new building here on campus, and I felt, oh, I felt so new. And then I bumped into somebody who said, "Wow, you graduated only a couple years ago, and look what you've done." And I said, "You know what?" God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for saying that here as I feel so, so old. And uh, no, no, I, it, it's, uh, you know, those first 10 years are really, I was talking about this with uh, someone who I graduated with and, uh, you know, we're, we're all, we got a couple kids now and my friend had a couple kids and we're kind of geared up for the next, you know, the next 20 years, you got kids in school, you got the kids programs and activities. There's a lot of development that happens in life. In the first 10, you get your first jobs, your first house, you, you might get married, like the first, you get all these firsts, and uh, not to say the next 20 are easy by any stretch, but, no, they're not. but uh, <laughs> you know, you get to this phase where kids are in school and you're looking for some stability. The first 10 have been, there's been a lot of, a lot of stuff happening. So yeah, A lot of momentous yeah, things, right? A lot of, yeah, yeah. Great. Welcome to Innovation Generation, a podcast of the Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Grove City College, where we hear the inspiring stories of entrepreneurs and explore the hopefulness of entrepreneurial thinking wherever we find it. I'm your host, Tim Sweet, and this is Innovation Generation. Well, Evan, uh, I've always loved your story. I've watched your career from the time you were a student. You were an entrepreneurship major right. here yes. at Grove City. And I've been pleased to watch your career unfold and the experiences you've had in the world of entrepreneurial thinking and entrepreneurial Thank opportunity. You. So glad to have you with us Thank today. You. Yeah, happy to be here. So uh, take us back, if you could, to that time when you were thinking uh, you know, about going to college, making a college choice, Selecting Grove City and mm -hmm. ultimately landing in the entrepreneurship major. What was that like back then? I know that's a long time ago, but I, you know, entrepreneurship as a major and other words we hear now, innovation. I know we have a new program, innovation design. Right. These are things in a, in a healthy way. I think you can find at college campuses across the country. At the time, entrepreneurship as a major there were not many schools that offered it. It was, an, it was a new concept. The word itself wasn't new. But uh, Grove City offering that was one of the major draws to be here. And I, 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 a student had asked me not too long ago, he said, well, you know, why, why did you do entrepreneurial things after you graduated? What was your motivation? And even coming into Grove City, I had this desire to do something a little different. I thought, life is short, and I could go to Grove City, it's a great education, and I can probably come out, and I can find a job that pays a nice salary. And Grove City was, had great statistics, and still does, have great data on, I mean, the Career Services Office is always ranked one of the tops in the country. Outstanding. And so I just felt like, you know, I'm going to take a swing here. I'm going to go to this newfangled program. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm going to be one of the you know, one of the, the founders, if you would, in the first year or two of being an entrepreneurship student and helping the program get going, I felt like maybe I can help contribute to some ideas, some other programs I've read about and seen. Mm -hmm. And 
there was this this mix of what Grove City College stood for and stands for. And it's it's funny, I think recently uh, Paul McNulty has gone back in, in looking at some of the original Isaac Kettler writings on things. There's this thread of entrepreneurship mm-hmm. that's at the basic of it, which is the nation needed at that time, you know, 150 years ago, the nation needed something like a Grove City College mm-hmm. uh, to, and I would use this phrase, create the world more how it ought to be. Our education of women, our, our path on that was, was uh, it was progressive in a way of, of not just having a seminary, but creating great leaders of tomorrow that were focused on their faith. And so I wanted to find that intersection. I really, mm-hmm. I wanted to find that of, I don't want to just get a good salary. I know it was a good backup plan, but I wanted to figure out more of what does it look like to be an impactful business leader, impactful innovator with, with Christ at the center of everything. Grove City felt like the right place, and the entrepreneurship program felt like the right program. So I took a swing, and, and uh, there are ups and downs along the way, but um, I'm, I'm uh, humbled with uh, the journey here over the last 12, 15 years. Yeah, there always are in life yeah. and faith and mm-hmm. work, always ups and downs. But uh, you've uh, really put yourself in a position to experience some extraordinary things fairly early in your career. Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, when, when you graduated, what did you start to think about in terms of forging a, a career path or discovering a calling? We might call it that yeah. as well. But. Yeah. I, I, I mean, in this journey of trying to do something a little bit different, I was uh, – I knew, first of all, that there was this, this uh, lingering November – coming after I graduated in May, and that November meant that student loans would be coming in, and, <laughs> and I don't mean this to go too deep, but I anticipated paying back my student loans, um, you know, so I, that, that was my plan. And, as a uh, responsible as, citizen, right? uh, yeah, That's <laughs> the point of this podcast, but that is how I felt and feel, and so, so I knew I had this, this uh, kind of backdrop of, I'm going to do something here for my first six, seven months before some heavy responsibility hits mm. me. And, and so when I, when I left Grove City, I had got together with some friends, a few people who had done a few uh, software-oriented things, and through a couple connections, ended up meeting up with uh, a group of founders, a group of people launching uh, a software and restaurants. And that just happened to be a space that I was in. I had uh, a good personal network of restaurant owners, had developed a software that I thought was effective for what they were trying to do, ushering mm-hmm. this hospitality experience to the, to the new era. And when I met these founders of this company called No Wait, and I jumped in with them as the original team, it, they needed, at the time, energy. They needed excitement, passion, sales, a little bit of a young entrepreneur who wasn't necessarily the CEO founder, but somebody who could take ownership. Grove City, I, my experience was Grove City, that was one of the key values I took was ownership. I never felt that I had a transactional relationship with the college. I always felt like I wasn't there just to get a degree to get out. I always felt like there was this invitation into come be a leader with us, come lead these organizations or come be a part of a really good positive movement. This college is what you make it. And as old as the college is, right, you're solid and firm, 
there were these opportunities to you know, for little progress as little things. And so when I joined this company, me and, and the founders, it was a great opportunity to continue that, to think like an owner, do great hard work. And at that point, I was hooked. Uh, I, I mean, Tim, I, I was uh, – we, we – it was clear right away that we didn't have the money to pay me. So in my effort to start this business and run, I, I worked night shifts at the post office. Yeah. I was working 7 p.m. to 5 a.m. Holiday season, I was working till 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., five, mm. six nights a week. So I was doing 40 plus another 15, 20 of, of overtime hours. And that was my night shift. It didn't feel weird because I was used to staying up all night playing video games, whatever it was at right. college. <laughs> right. and, 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 so, and then I would do my, my day job. My startup was everything else. I would sleep for a couple hours. I would do you know, three or four hours of meetings. I would you know, drive to a couple restaurants to do some sales. And every waking hour was about, was about the restaurants. I would think about it and maybe... You know, you couldn't really work, you know, during the job, but you were constantly strategizing. And, and I had, I've had people say, well, that was crazy. How could you have this strength and motivation? And it wasn't that I was a, a, a strong, self-disciplined hustler. I, it just, I just, I really believed in the concept of what we were building. Sure. And, and so there was this, you could call it supernatural, but this strength or, or this peace that it was just, uh, it was what I had to do to keep on that path. And I'm sure, you know, that would have broken eventually if things don't go a certain way. Sure. But I never questioned it. It was, uh, it was one of these things that, uh, that, that I felt like I was on the right path. And then before we knew it, we were able to raise our first little bit of money. And that would have been in 2012. <laughs> so at that point, I was maybe a year and a half along. And then we were off to the races. And that launched us forward over the next couple of years. So. Tell us a little bit about the, the early days of the company, what, what the name of the company and mm-hmm. kind of the space you were in. It was obviously a restaurant type of application, but I think for those who have not heard about right. this before, it might be helpful just to understand some of what happened during that time. Yeah, that company was called No Wait, mm-hmm. and our goal was ultimately to allow people, guests, to put their name in line at a waitlist restaurant from their phone. Very simple. It was based on this experience that you could walk up to one of the top brunch places in the city. It's a two-hour wait on a Saturday, Mm. and you either put your name in. You have to walk up there, put your name in line, and keep checking in, or you don't go there. And so there was a lot of guests who just would never experience that restaurant. Uh, A number of us in the early group, I wasn't at this stage yet, but a number of people had kids and and on an almost selfish basis, we're like, I want to go to these great restaurants, and I can't. My kids will melt down if I sit there for two hours and don't eat anything. So we launched this, this effort, and what we found was this minimum viable product right away, which was texting people when their table's ready. In 2010, 11, 12, text messages were just getting going, and the concept of apps was uh, – most people didn't really know what that was. I, I, we ended up – working with restaurant groups, and we did an icebreaker one time with a group of managers. And we thought, oh, here's what we'll do for the icebreaker. We'll go around the room with everybody say their favorite app. And this restaurant manager said, the first one to go, and he said, oh, app, oh, uh, our endless quesadillas are really good. <laughs> and he had, he had no, the concept of an application and what that was on a phone. It right? was so, brand new. Brand new. So, yeah. so we couldn't go in and, and sell this future vision of people using an app to put their name in line. We had to get this base of restaurants signed up, text people when their table's ready, replace the pen and paper at the host stand, get that industry up to speed. 
help your restaurant just run better from the front. We sold that well to the point where we got a few thousand restaurants on that base software. Mm. Then we were able to locally, starting in Pittsburgh and then strategic cities after that, launch an app that would allow people to look at the wait times of a restaurant, put their name in line. And eventually that was millions of users. And, and ultimately the, the outcome of that was we were able to sell that business to, to Yelp, a reviews website. And they purchased us in early 17. So it was a, it was a fun, if it, in hindsight, it was a quick sprint. It was about six years start to finish. It felt like a long time, you know, in the middle of the slog. It feels like what is the breakthrough? But we met phenomenal people. The Yelp team that acquired us was excellent and, and was a major catalyst for me and, and the team to, to go forward from there. So you, this wasn't your idea. Right. But you were able to create a network that eventually led you to this group that was mm. uh, had come up with this idea called No Wait. And um, talk to us a little bit about the opportunities you see for young people today, you know, people that are studying business and entrepreneurship and other types of disciplines to work in a, um, a startup environment, even if they don't feel their idea is ready to launch, yeah. but they'd like some experience in a startup just to get a taste of what that's like, maybe with the thought that someday they'll do their own uh, launch of an innovative mm -hmm. product or idea. But, but for now, let's just jump in and figure out what working for a startup is like. I, that path is one I recommend virtually 10 times out of 10. And that path being the corporate world will be there. And I'm going to say a couple company names. And I mean, the Deloitte's, the Accenture's, they will be there. Great brands. Great brands. Yeah. And they pay really well. And I am so thankful they recruit at great colleges and, and a number of them recruit at Grove City. And, mm -hmm. and I love it. I love it. With these highly talented folks, I think Grove City produces a very unique brand of obviously uh, uh, academic level, top notch. Grove City also produces a student that tends to be uh, trustworthy. I, I don't, it's an odd, you would hope that schools generally do that. But a Grove City student, for whatever reason, is one that you could probably throw the keys to your house to and expect them to, out of some sense of duty to, we'll call it a higher power, whatever it is, Grove City students tend to be trustworthy. And placing a student like that into an environment where they are mostly a laborer I think is not the full utilization. I, we got good work ethic, and that's very right. important to me. But my favorite environments to see a Grove City student flourish after school is one where they're asked to be both a, a, a hard worker and a vision catcher or yeah. an owner of something to drive it forward. Where uh, th they, this, uh, I'll say it this way. I mentioned this very quickly early in our podcast here of entrepreneurs create the world how it ought to be. And that nature of creating, I mean, this is a little spiritual of me here, but I would say when, when, our, when God made us, he made us in his image. And as a creator, when we're created in his image, the very simple A plus A equals B equals C is that we ourselves are creators. That is in our DNA, it's in our nature. And so when we take a job that is mostly about the best money or 
the most reliable path forward as you fast forward a 25-year career and it's just a good steady, it looks right. Those are good things. But our time on earth here is short. And I really believe that creating the world how it ought to be is not just a it's not just a, an entrepreneur business thing. I think any phase of life, any a teacher, whatever job you go into, having that entrepreneurial mindset at the base that I am created to create, mm-hmm. looking for opportunities to move the world more how it ought to be is important. I advocate that when you find companies, younger companies in particular, that have that type of ambition as their mission, a disruptive sort of let's move the needle here in this industry, that's a great place to be. They're looking for energy. They're looking for uh, – they, they are willing to accept some greenness for, for someone who really catches that vision. And when we looked back at No Wait and others and same thing at uh, a company I've, I've been with for the last four years and, and wrapping up now is, is Olive, a company based in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Startup grew into high growth mode and, and uh, really climbed, climbed their, their ascension there. The early stage folks who were maybe not the most high pedigree, right? They didn't, not all, it wasn't all the Harvard, Ivy League, whatever, you know, MBAs. It was mm-hmm. the people who caught the vision and said, I'll do anything to drive this forward. And, and for us, that, you know, at No Wait, we, were, we didn't want to wait in line. Now, we had some bigger vision <laughs> about how that, that would enhance the human experience. And, and we would meet these owners of a brunch restaurant, and we would see how beautiful of a product they made, but how many people couldn't experience it because the wait times weren't conducive to, to, what, to the family environment, whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Dollars are walking out the door. So we were able to help them accomplish their dreams more. It was this beautiful thing. And Olive, the company that I'd worked with for the last four years, was a similar vision in healthcare, which was disparate systems, the patient experience, the provider experience, the doctors and nurses that have to sift through administrative papers. There's got to be a way to connect these disparate systems better and return the caregivers back to giving care, patients the confusion of receiving 10 different bills. What do I pay? What is this? Did my insurance pay part of this? What does this mean? Being able to clarify what that looks like creates such a, a better experience in healthcare. And, and that was really what drove me towards them. And, and so in all of those things, I like the mission-oriented approach to choosing what you do next. And so you originally asked, okay, Student comes out of school, is there really opportunity? I would say absolutely. Make your decision coming out of college based on if you don't have a particular mission that might be yours to start and found, look for one that you identify with. Sometimes it's as big as changing healthcare. Sometimes it's as specific as changing wait list lines. Yeah. Um, but find something that resonates with you and take a swing. And, and I think, you know, if you swing and miss – there's you got a great network behind you at Grove City. That's you've true. got you've got great other. You know, I, I don't know of any IBM or anybody else who looks at four years of someone trying to start a business and failing and looks at that and says you're a failure. Those types of those types of approaches are well revered right now in the now, industry. What what company doesn't want to think of themselves as entrepreneurial? Right in, in the face of all the economic and social challenges mm-hmm. today. We, we have to go back to our entrepreneurial roots and rediscover who we are in terms of how to make an impact on the world. 
So what, what's interesting to me is that in, in both of these situations, uh, both with Olive and with your experience at No Weight, mm-hmm. you seem to feel a great deal of ownership. It's, yeah. It never was a job for you, right? right. You, were, you were part of the mission. Part of, did it feel like family at all? I'm just I'm kind of looking for a metaphor that helps me understand the culture that you experience. Because right. I think that's really important, too, when people start to think about their career. What kind of culture are we going to be a part of and right. how are we going to create some value for others? Yeah, and I think there's, there's two really important parties to that, that question, which is both what you look for as an employee and you know, vetting that culture. And, and the other side is if, and, and something I identify more with at this point, which is, okay, as you're uh, starting these companies or part of leadership with these companies, how do you continue to establish that type of culture? It's something that's very difficult as a company scales. No weight never really got too big. You know, we at one point, I think we're up to 75 or 80 employees. And, and that was small enough. We're all in one office, 10,000 square feet, maybe something like that. You can see usually across the whole office. You know everybody by name. Yeah, there's a handful of new people here and there. But generally, if you're there for a few weeks, you, you know most people. Hmm. And it does feel family. When we do company events a few times a year, spouses come out, kids come out, and you develop close relationships. At some point after that, and there's a general rule of thumb, 200 people is a hard number. It's a, it's a pivot point, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a tipping point of once you get through where your engagements mean that you've got more than 200, it's very hard to, to scale beyond that and, and to it's feel the same family. in churches, by the way. I was going to say churches. Same you, thing. You see yeah. a lot of churches get up to 150, yeah. sit there, and once they go over 200, something breaks, right? And, and then it goes back and... And I think a lot of organizations do that. There's some great reads out there about different strategies in business or organizational development, how to, how to combat that. And, and, and for, I'll use all of as an example here, that was a challenge. We grew, here's some crazy numbers. We grew from 198 people, so we're right on that line, 198 yep. people in January of 2020, pandemic hits, but we did really well. So we finished 2021 with about 1,400 people. Wow. So That's exponential growth in that uh, period of time. At least, right? Yeah. So when you'd say, well, what's the culture like? It's hard to tell because you don't know <laughs> right. 90% of the people you're working with. Sure. So to navigate that at that odd season, that's a very odd season, uh, we were all at our best, all, both No Way and Olive. We were all at our best when we felt this missional communal alignment I always appreciated somebody calling out seasons of, hey, we're getting some sharp elbows on, on Zoom calls where everybody's getting a little tense, a little, I'll use the word selfish, whatever it is, where you f- everybody starts to defend themselves, think of themselves first. That's a, that's a real concern in the pan- post-pandemic era when a lot of people are working in their towers at their houses. You're working hard. You're doing late nights. You don't see anybody else doing that. And so you start to feel like, am I the only one doing this? Interesting. And, and somebody else might ask you to do something, and you feel like, wow, how disrespectful. And, and these start to mount over time, and you realize you're probably not the only person who feels that way. And so there can, you can build this growing sort of, it's a harsh word, but I'm going to say self-centered focus on how you're building your career. 
we at Olive have tried to combat that by doing as many group gatherings as COVID would allow and post-COVID would allow. But even as the company changes and the company's adjusting a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm wrapping up there and we're shifting our numbers and a few things there that are all, you know, that are all out there. It, one of the reasons and one of the notes on that was it was really hard to stay mission-focused as we went forward. And I think doing that well will be the mark of fantastic companies. It's, it's a challenge. Yeah, extraordinary in, in the midst of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. We don't have a blueprint for how you handle that. Mm-mm. But that says a lot about the leadership at that company and how they were able to steer through a very difficult time. Yeah. So um, one of the other things I really appreciate about your professional journey is that you really took the the role of sales mm-hmm. very seriously and integrated it into the warp and woof of these startups in a very interesting yeah. way. Um, I know that a lot of our students connect with you. You've been very generous in connecting with our students as well around sales opportunities and sales skills. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and how that overlaps with entrepreneurial thinking. There's a, a, a book that for at least a season has been regarded as the Bible of startup companies, and it's it's Peter Thiel's Zero to One. Yeah. And in that, he makes a few references to some great entrepreneurial stories. This one is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, be, knowing their relationship, but he refers to uh, a, an Elon Musk story. Mm. And and he, he again, he, they've got a little bit of their, their embittered background. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, and this is before Elon, this book came out years ago, and, and Elon had been very successful, but Tesla was not what it was. SpaceX was really developing at the time, but you know, Elon at the time was worth a measly probably $30 billion. Yeah, not much yeah, by right. today's yeah, standards. He was, right? he was uh, <laughs> nowhere near his 200-some billion that makes him yeah. the richest man in the world. And what Peter Thiel had talked through was the reason Elon is a great entrepreneur is not because he's a great engineer or coder. And he, he, this is part of what the, the tongue-in-cheek part was where he said – the code he writes is not very good, blah, blah, blah. His, <laughs> his ideas aren't actually his ideas. You know, he sort of pushes a couple of things together from other people. But he's a great salesman. And what he means by that is he talks through SpaceX and how difficult it was when you've got NASA, who is a government organization, and 25,000 people, it's funded, they're NASA. And somehow Elon goes through and builds relationships with senators, other politicians, private funding, and takes a 2,500-person, 5,000-person team to combat and compete with NASA and somehow starts to get some government contracts. His ability to play politics and sell and create a, create a company was really what's made him a great entrepreneur. The reason I'm saying all that in regards to your sales question is usually when you're not a software developer – in, in tech, you think, well, I'm not a creator. But the reality is there are very few creations or products that are either truly novel, truly new ideas, or that sell themselves. And so when right. we use that phrase of create the world how it ought to be, the sales half of that is, okay, we might have created the product that allows the world how it ought to be, but now we have to go convince the world to do this. At no weight, we were told no virtually every time. And as a sales team, we had to figure out 
how to convince the world that it ought to be this way. And by doing every sales tactic we had to pull them along, eventually the world said, oh, we like this. At all of it was the same thing. That company had been going for six years, up and down, looking for the right way to sell a certain product. And when a handful of people, a few of us came in together, developed the right messaging and strategy, after six years of working on some different things, Mm. finally, the average sales prices skyrocketed 10x, the company revenues went 150x, uh, company values skyrocketed, and... That was because we, we figured out and cracked the nut on how to – the product was good. It was how do we connect with the buyers to convince them this is how the world ought to be. And so if you're an aspiring salesperson, that's like, that feels like a – sales has, gets such a bad rap sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a salesman. Yeah, but, but really what you are is you are this – you are the one who moves things. You are the one who you – know, I had an engineer one time. Very ethereal-minded, brilliant man, great engineer. And I went out to dinner with him and the engineering team. It's probably almost 10 years ago now. And we're having a good time. And then I realized it was, a, it was a trap. It was a setup. And he was of the mind that sales was the worst of all human creations <laughs> and that the only thing that needed to be done was great product and sales is manipulative. And, and, um, and he said uh, he at one point, you know, we were at, I don't know if there were a few drinks at this point from him, but, you know, he turned to me in front of everybody and said, so we all know that sales is virtually demonic. And now everyone's looking at me like, okay, and I'm laughing. And he said, give me one reason why sales should exist. And I said, and I just simply said, said, Mike, what do you want? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, what, what do you want? He said, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, what do you mean? What do I, I don't know what I want. And I said, that's why. Because I have a vision of how this whole human existence can go a little bit further and a little bit better. And I'm going to help you figure out what you want. You're in the driver's seat. I'll come alongside you and figure this thing out with you. And the rest of his team, it, I got all the street cred I needed right there from them. And they realized that sales was about the human psychology decision, not about manipulating, not about twisting. I know it can be that way sometimes, and that's, it's sad when things get that way, but it's about taking a vision and bringing the world along to it. So. Yeah. And you, you help, when you're selling, you're, you're helping people to uncover and frame problems that they may be slightly aware of, but to see it in a fresh way right. so that they can actually move forward, solve those problems, and create something of better value. That's right. It, it's, it's all about the consultative sale is, is the best. Yep. It, it's a little older now, but you, I, I still ascribe to the challenger sale. You don't just want to be a salesperson who is an order taker. Right. Tell me what you right. want. I'll go make your widgets. At that point... It, what they, that's, that's, the, that's the Ford statement, right? If I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. <laughs> and, and by saying, hey, I know you just want faster horses. Give me a second. I'm going to see. No, he didn't invent the car, but it, you know, he's able to mass produce it. He's able to say, right. like, give me a minute. I'm going to show you something that you can't dream up right now, but I think is going to solve what you want a little bit better. Steve Jobs did it a couple times over. And that type of innovation 
I appreciate for men and women who are bold enough to take that stand and create the world how it ought to be. And at the end of the day, it is, I believe, the sales aspect of it, the communication aspect of it that really accomplishes this adoption. A lot of empathy in the mm-hmm. process, a lot, right. of, a lot of listening and understanding, That's right. but of doing some brainstorming mm-hmm. with a client to help them to craft their own vision of a, of a better future. Yeah, that's right. So um, I know for you, Evan, uh, you have a great heart for people and for the entrepreneurial process and your experiences have put you in some very unique places. Uh, but you also are interested in that intersection of entrepreneurship and faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've been working on a venture the last couple of years that to me has caught my attention as well. And I wondered if you'd tell a little bit about Rich Barn Roasters and oh, yeah. some of the things you're doing there, because I think there's a, a just it, it, your heart is revealed in that. And I think it's a great story and very encouraging to our students and prospective students who want to make a real difference in the world. That's great. Absolutely. I, I, I would say that as you're making your business decisions and I've made, as I've made my business decisions, mission oriented, we've mentioned that already is, is so important and when I say mission-oriented, it's I, I would call it this, this Christian calling of, of go and create the world how it ought to be. And that is sometimes standing on a street corner and preaching the gospel. Uh, that, that, is, that is some of those what I would call traditional you know, American evangelical moments where it's time to pray with somebody. I, I, I ascribe to that. I understand it. More often than not, It's how every day we're shaping the culture around us. And so when we're starting businesses, whatever it is, we have to realize the impact that they can have. So a very simple thing with Rich Barn Roasters, one of my best friends, who's also a Grove City guy, he and I have, because we're parents, we've become avid coffee coffee drinkers, because how else could you survive? (laughs) And uh, and then a friend of ours also uh, works at a, a mission in Pittsburgh, uh, a homeless and, and recovering addict center and just a wonderful, wonderful program. And we realized that there was, uh, as we we're talking about a few things, that particular mission has almost $50,000, a little over $40,000 of annual expense associated just to coffee. And as we wow. looked around at yeah. other missions, there's a reason for that. I mean, there's staff, but there's you know, so a lot of reasons why a lot of coffee could be consumed. Right. You know, your people are, are going through some things and Good cup of coffee. Coffee can, is necessary. Yes, yeah, and 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 so what we did is right in March of, of the pandemic, uh, Mitch and I, we we launched Rich Barn Roasters as a direct to consumer coffee company. You would subscribe to us. We would ship coffee to your house. Now in the pandemic, that was part of that, which is harder to go get your coffee, high premium product, but cutting out brick and mortar, so we were able to offer mm-hmm. it at a mid level price, and it was a buy a bag, give a bag, Tom's type of model. And we specifically partnered with the shelter so that as you subscribe to us, it would drive us closer to being able to cover their entire coffee budget. That was our goal. You know, we, we launched a campaign with them. Something like 220 subscribers would allow us to have covered their coffee costs entirely. And on top of that, it opened up the store for us to build relationship with them so that their, I'll call them graduates or residents of their program, can engage with us. They can help with the logistics of coffee, see the business, be a part of you know, learning how to roast, these sorts of things so that they are a part of this 
cyclical work. They're looking at their hands. Wow, I can make something. I'm building something. And, and there's this redemptive nature to what we're doing. So all of this comes down to when you're drinking a cup of coffee, it's, it tastes good. That's very important. But you're realizing how much impact a cup has. I don't mean to be too hippie-ish about it, but that is, call it growth city, whatever, the, the impact of a healthy, free market, well-meaning product, when you do it right, has a lot of positive impact the whole way through the supply chain. And, and so for Mitch and I, it's been a lot of fun to be able to do that and push you know, our, our margins towards these ministries and work on building. A, we spend as much time with the missions-oriented as we do with uh, uh, building a quality product. We want to make sure, first and foremost, the coffee is awesome. So we have some killer people that work with us who've, who are world-class, we believe, roasters, and, and, um, and, and, and we're setting up our operations more, and we're scaling that a little bit. And uh, that's an honor to do that. It really is. If, if people wanted to check out your story yep. about Rich Barn Roasters and what you're doing with uh, some of these ministries, what would, where would they go? Richbarnroasters.com tells that story. Mm-hmm. And you can subscribe there and read more about what we're doing. And, and we're, we're, uh, we're uh, sharing more stories about what's happening there. And uh, you can subscribe to what we're doing, and we'll, we'll send coffee to your door. Coming up on the holiday season— we have a lot of fun with that. And so we do some unique giftings. Uh, we, we tend to throw some surprise gifts into bags. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a fun season to, to, to give. So, so we're focused on, on that. Fantastic. So what's, what's next for Evan Adams? Anything on the horizon? Um, things are cooking or roasting, as the of, case may of be? Of course, of course. <laughs> no, we've got, we've got fun things. I... I do like to take a step back at some sort of transition seasons and, and ask myself, what are, what are things happening in the world that I like or don't like, or what, what should we do more of? Sure. And since I'm a Grove City person, I love history. I love, I, I love uh, finding peace in history. I had someone say to me recently, oh, this is the most divided the country's ever been. And I said, did you know that we had a war against each <laughs> yeah, other? Right. right? You know, and, <laughs> yes. and they said, oh, but I mean, in the last you know, 100 years. And I said, well, did you know at the 1968 Democratic National Convention that the senators had to be flown in by helicopter out of death threats? I said, no, I didn't know that. You know, so, so there's this piece sometimes, yeah. not, not to say that things have always been bad, but there's context of, you know, we've had ups and downs. There's, mm-hmm. you know, did you know in the election of, of uh, 1800, uh, the French threw out lots of propaganda in their fake newspaper. Like it, the fake news from foreign entities is a thing. It's been there since you know nothing new under nothing the sun. New. And so, so all of that to say, um, I've been part of a. There's a small group of us that have been purchasing up historical properties, um, bed and breakfasts, some traditional things that we think tell a really cool story. Mm. And so, it's a hospitality. Thing. Uh, there's certainly a real estate dynamic to what we're doing there. Uh, we're referring to ourselves as the gather company. And we believe the stories that we're telling, and I would say the edifying experience mm. that we're trying to create with this is, is uh, impactful. On a business side, we think we're purchasing really cool stuff, really cool real estate assets that are by themselves good buys and and worth, worth a good return, mm. but we believe in developing a community based on historical experience, ones that, that pull us in and help us get outside of ourselves and realize life isn't just about 
my individual 80 to 100 years, but about this larger tradition, the American tradition, the, the Christian tradition, whatever it is, gives you peace that you're a part of a story. So we're investing into that for a bit and, uh, and seeing how that community develops. And uh, we think there's some tech angles within that, but we're focused on that right now. And uh, that's, that's sort of the next thing. Oh, that's incredible. Great, great part of your, the next part of your journey here. And I, what's exciting to me is that you're only 12 years into your career and you've had some phenomenal experiences. I can't wait to see what God's going to do with you over the next decade uh-huh. or two or three or four. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's, it's the, I really appreciate your entrepreneurial drive and your, your care for people. Thank you. And the way you want to solve real human problems and create something of great value uh, for folks to move forward in lots of ways in their lives, psychologically, emotionally, economically. Um, it, it really is great to see this. So thank you, Evan, for thank joining you. us today. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate your spirit and uh, look forward to this next chapter as it unfolds. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Innovation Generation. We're glad you could join us, and we invite you to come back for more episodes. To contact us, you can find us at gccentrepreneurship.com, or you can follow us on social media at GCC Entrepreneur.